We've all got something to say When we open our mouths We find someone to blame We all have demons to face Situations evolve into something that we can't explain. All right, everyone, welcome to the Reapcast. I am Clay, and uh, I'm here again with my wonderful wife, Julia, who obviously is laughing to death. And, uh, yeah, yeah, you can hear hi, that. Hi. Um, hi, hi, hi. And uh, a friend of ours, Rhea Dickerson, um, from the Depth of Echoes podcast is with us today. And uh, Rhea, it's an honor to have you on the show. Uh, thank you so much for being willing to come on this uh, this small fish of a podcast. Um, and uh, <laughs> we're going to a <laughs> We'll get there eventually. I mean, you know, you know, we we average, you know. 10 listens. Um, yeah. I'll take that. I'll take that. Hey. Um, <laughs> That's always good. That's always good to start. It's a pleasure to be here. Like, I don't know what you think I do, but like, I'm not a big fish by any means. So no big deal. To me, you are. Know. You're not in the company of greatness fish. or anything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, it's okay. You know, so actually, my husband and I met on Plenty of Fish, so we can just keep what? the fish talk up. <laughs> okay. It's coming full circle. So, what do you do? Tell us about yourself. Well, I cut apples usually for children. Um, mine. Um, <laughs> I'm a podcaster, wife, mom, speaker, sometimes artist. Apparently, that just yes. kind of happened. Yes. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I guess I just do a little bit of everything. And the biggest thing is following kind of the spirit and for me that's god but you know like i just follow the spirit and it just seems like it leads with love and that sure seems to work pretty well <laughs> awesome that's beautiful that's awesome um that's an incredibly delicate way of 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 explaining like mom life in general. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I'd say I follow the spirit every single second of my mom life. That's oh, man. beautiful. Well, sometimes it's like a spirit of chaos, right? <laughs> yes. Big deal though. Oh my gosh. Sometimes it's depression. Sometimes it's anxiety. You never know. ADHD. Yeah. Whatever. I right. don't know. It's my small fry. His keeps poking out, and I just don't know how, what he's gonna do. <laughs> he's trouble, I tell you. That redhead. <laughs> so I have two kids, nine and uh, three-year-olds, who is currently running around like a very excited person. I'm not gonna say a crazy person because we have other crazy people here, and they don't run around like that. Um, <laughs> and I run around. Like my that. husband has schizoaffective disorder, and so. Um, he is a crazy person, just like I am, I guess. Um, I just kind of try to take ownership back of that word because it's, um, it's been so negative and hurtful to a lot of people. And it's been a way to write people off and um, minimize. So I was just like, you know what? I don't care. Yeah, we're crazy. So what? Like, 
doesn't matter. Uh, but so I have depression, anxiety, um, probably ADHD and, or at least some tendencies. I'm really realizing that I take after my dad in a lot of ways that I didn't realize. <laughs> so that realization yeah, is always of, fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just an interesting household over here. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, I mean, you, you hit on it a little bit already um, about, you know, what what your husband suffers from and, and what you do or, and everything. Um, but let's dive in a little more about that. What's been y'all's, your journey um, with, with mental illness, um, you know, coming into it, realizing, you know, um, the diagnosis, just pretty much that whole path because I know it's a long one and it could take a lot of time I know at least for me for mine it was it was long and daunting at times yeah for sure so um as far as the umbrella of mental illness or like known mental illness I would say like mm, probably in my teenage years I knew I was probably struggling with depression which is something that my mom struggled with um and so I think maybe late teens, I think I started on an antidepressant um, and there was talk of maybe being bipolar. And then, uh, but I was like, well, I'm not manic because I didn't understand kind of what bipolar was. And so um, we kind of just went the depression route, which I may revisit here soon. My dad has it and I didn't know about that then. That was totally undiagnosed at that point. Um, but I don't think I get manic, kind of that bipolar too if I have bipolar. Um, and the only time that that really matters is medication wise. So if I'm on an antidepressant that kind of isn't appropriate for bipolar depression, it could send someone into a manic spike. Um, yeah, I haven't really had any problems with that. So I'm probably okay. But um, definitely do want to talk to my doctor just to make sure that the medication I'm on, which is Cymbalta, is okay for uh, bipolar depression as well. Which I think it is because Richie's on it too. And part of schizoaffective is a, like a mood disorder and his is bipolar. Um, so if he's on it, it's probably fine. It's probably not going to send someone into a manic spike. But definitely not something I'm really... Um, I'm not super worried about it, but it would be totally something that I'd bring up with my doctor next time. Anyway, so I found out that I had depression. It was really pretty mild most of my teenage years. And so I didn't really think a lot about it. And I didn't really um, do anything much about it. Just kind of took meds. I never noticed a difference. My mom said she noticed a difference, but that was about it. And I didn't really take her seriously because I was a teenager. And then uh, went through some traumatic events with my first marriage. Um, he was, uh, I don't know. He probably had a lot of diagnoses, but um, really emotionally manipulative and abusive. Um, he never hit me, but the threat of violence was there, um, which I'm told qualifies as physical abuse. That feels very weird to put on my situation, but the more I'm learning about trauma, the more I'm learning about the way it affects us. And maybe it doesn't really matter as far as my own healing process. Um, just kind of what label it get it gets put on there. But anyway, um, so that was kind of traumatic and had a lot of stuff going on there. That's actually where I had my first son. So um, my oldest kiddo is from my first marriage. Um, so that kind of 
brings about an interesting and additional layer to our kind of mental health story because there's some trauma, separation anxiety, and things like that that kind of ended up, I think, coming out of that. Um, we were in Canada, so he's Canadian. Like, my life really, like, it sounds like too many things. Like, it would be a movie, except there's just too much. It's like, what is the story? Like, there's just, ugh, like, life vomited things. I don't know. Like, the writer um, had the brainstorm and just threw all the ideas in there. Right. Maybe the the writer had mania. He was just like, rah! Um, so... Um, when I was in Canada with my ex, who's Canadian, he ended up leaving when our kiddo was about five months old. He just kind of took off and left us after being in and out of jail. And he also took all my ID and stuff with him. So I was kind of stuck for a while. Um, so my oldest has never really known his dad at all, uh, other than about two months when he was a baby. So it's good, but at the same time, it's really weird. Like, I found out about separation anxiety through the podcast and all the research that I've been doing there and kind of what that looks like and realizing, like, oh, my gosh, I'm his person, like the one constant in his life. And that's why he can also treat me kind of horribly because of just that relationship there and the safety aspect and if I'm scared and I have to reveal really intense things, it's going to be to the safest possible person. And, you know, when you're a kid, you don't know how the heck to get all those feelings out. You don't even know. You don't understand. I don't I don't know what I'm feeling. So how could I expect him to? Um, and so we were kind of quietly dealing with all this stuff under the surface. Um, but it's pretty manageable uh, when I met Richie and... We met on Plenty of Fish because, um, I don't know, That's how he you had a cute him. smile with this little dimple. And I was like, Aww. I just have to say you have the most beautiful smile. <laughs> and I did not think he was. He was just like, oh, thank you. And I was like, well, he didn't like shut me down. So like maybe I should keep talking. And then like a couple weeks into actually dating after we met, I realized like, Oh my gosh, he really is just like the most shy, like unassuming person. Like he's just like do do do. Like it's so adorable. Um, which was really safe too, feeling, you know, after so much trauma, he just was so easygoing and just mild mannered. Um, so I met him and we started dating. Um my kiddo was about two, so that was back in 2011 at the end and um I can't remember how far we were into dating maybe a couple months when he told me that he um had had paranoid schizophrenia but had been healed and um you know I dated him for a couple months at that point I think and I kind of come from a Pentecostal background and like er, spent some time you know not a ton but, you know, I'd watch the guys who would come from South America and be like, we were casting out demons and we were doing all these healings and stuff. And I was like, OK, you know, like, mm -hmm. I guess it's possible. Good job. Right. Um, 
Yeah, you know, and then I asked a couple of people, I was like, Mom, like, what do you, th- like, do you think that God could heal, like, mental illness kind of stuff? She's like, yeah, I don't know why not. Like, <laughs> like okay, seems legit. Cool. And I was like, okay, well, I mean, he acts normally. He's been holding down a job for, you know, past six years. It's, like, had a little bit of a handle on what that was and maybe looked into it just a little bit, like, oh, well, what am I getting myself into? But also... I was thinking so much and looking at it as this was a thing that was in the past and not something that could come up again. Um, and so we were kind of just trucking along and doing okay. And then uh, when I had met him, he was involved in this <laughs> really culty little church, which was awful, awful, awful. And it was like Pentecostal, um, but also very fundamental and controlling and it was like in a little storefront like oh gosh it was probably a 30 by 30 room storefront and like probably anywhere between 10 and 15 people there on a Sunday morning oh wow and so like Richie and this other girl are kind of being (laughs) groomed for leadership and so you know, this pastor is very controlling and like very um, manipulative. So, so bad. <laughs> I'm sure you guys have lots of stories about that kind of stuff too. We, we um, know a little bit about small culty churches. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I will definitely want to hear all about that. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. Such a mess. But um, so <sighs> I was going there with them because I didn't have a home church at that time. I'd come back from Canada. I'd been a Christian my whole life, but kind of hadn't gotten back into church because it was weird. And I just felt super bizarre coming home from Canada with a kid and being divorced and or like separated. I wasn't divorced yet, but um, it was just super, super bizarre. And so I just started going to his church and they gave me a copy of the Bible that they used, which was the new KJV. And like, so that I could turn to the same page with them, which was kind of weird because I was like, really? And um, then like, we would always sit at the front of like the three rows. And <laughs> like one time I was like <laughs> underlining a scripture and homeboy like, Straight up was like, you don't, you need to highlight, not underline. Like he stopped what he was saying to like, tell me that I should not underline my Bible. I should be highlighting. And I was like, oh, well, you know, like since you stopped this thing to talk about this, let's talk about it. First of all, like highlighting actually tends to mentally block out that portion, whereas underlining emphasizes. So, you know, I usually just emphasize, I like the way it looks or I underline cause I like the way it looks. And he was just like, I reject that and blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, what, like, what is even oh, wow. going on here? Um, one time he like passed Richie a little note about, you know, that, passage in Leviticus about tattoos and I was like what do you want me to do I already have them like okay get them removed kudos <laughs> right like um should we talk about like the gluttony or any of the other stuff that I see as a parent here and like it who cares like what is the deal here um he would plan weird things like just social events for the church i remember they wanted to go on this beach trip for the day 
and Richie was not allowed to go to the, um, I, at the time was going to go to a pro-life walk and, um, (laughs) he was not allowed to go with me because he needed to go on the fun day to the beach. And I was like, what? Like, what do you even, what is your church's priority? I don't understand this. <laughs> Beaches and for more so babies. finally, yeah, right? Like, finally, like, you know, and they have, like, praying and prophesying and tongues and falling in the spirit and all that stuff. And they were very prosperity gospel and name it and claim it and seed faith gifts. You know, if you want to, if you have a prayer request, you need to, like, back that with some, like, seed faith money and, like, like my brother visited one time and like didn't put an offering in the offering plate. Cause you know, most of the time visitors don't do that. And he literally pulled me aside afterwards. Like you need to tell your brother about visiting church and how, if you visit a church, you shouldn't come empty handed. And I was like, what? And so finally, like enough stuff that like the Holy spirit was like, Hey, you need to leave. It, it's not just, I was like, am I just being rebellious? Or not the thing that gets you so messed up about church, right? Like, am I just being rebellious? Is this just my flesh rebelling against these these rules that I just don't want to comply with? Or is this the Holy Spirit? Or am I like, am I just an idiot? Like, what's going on? And like, finally, I was just like, look, honey, like, I'm sorry. I cannot go to this church anymore with you. I'm not going to stop going to church. It's not that I don't believe in God there's some red flags here that I just like, I cannot ignore anymore. And so I'm going to go over here and all I just ask for you to do is that the Lord would show us both the truth on like what the situation is. Is this healthy? Is this not healthy? Like what's going on? Cause I cannot do this anymore. And so he kept going there for a couple more months and, and then I was going to my mom's church for a little while while that was happening. And then it got to Richie's birthday and Richie went out with them after church. And so there's like the 10 people and he's still being groomed for leadership. Um, But at that point, the message had kind of changed from, oh, Rhea is like a gift from God to like, oh, she's just trying to use you for everything. You know, once I stopped going to their church Um, (laughs) and they were at the table at Richie's birthday party and the pastor turned to him and was like, well, have you guys had sex before marriage? And like we had, and, um, he was like, you know, and he was, I think he said, yes, I think he was able to answer. Um, and then he's like, well, this is going to, this is doomed to fail and blah, 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 blah. And like, just went off on him. And like, I don't know. I think he just, Richie just kind of, blanked out at that point I don't know if he even was able to respond like he was very very upset afterwards but I don't even know how he got through the rest of that because I literally would have been like flipping tables and been like are you kidding me you thought this was an appropriate way to deal with this like not okay and y'all have been married Um, for quite a time at that at that point right no no no, we weren't married yet um which you know like it was just honest you know we hadn't we right. hadn't waited. We weren't living together, but we weren't we weren't perfect. We oh, were I thought, both I, trying. I thought they had asked afterwards. That's why I was like, no. that's a strange question. Even like No, I had just left their church a couple months before that. Okay. And he hadn't quite Yeah, no, we weren't engaged yet, but we he was getting ready to ask me, I think. And he asked <laughs> at the table in front of everyone, like 
everyone in their church, which was like 10 people, but still everyone in their church and just totally humiliated him. That was like the whole point was control and manipulation. Um, you know, cause like if you're trying to correct someone or like be loving and be like, Hey, this behavior is concerning. Like you go to that person in love. You don't try to humiliate them. And like, when has that ever worked anyway? Like it doesn't. Um, <laughs> so, there was a lot of trauma there for him for sure. And I don't think that that helped. Well, especially um, for someone who's, who's shy and who's not very, um, open to public opinion like that i'm i'm not considered shy my personality is but something like that would tear me apart for months maybe even years well i mean ours ours kind of did because we we kind of have the same experience with that of of 10 people small church and everything and it we still feel to this day like the repercussions of it um yeah so i completely understand that that's that is that that could very easily even fall into like I, I think the church has a lot of PTSD from those moments because oh. um, I, I think a lot of it falls into that um, just you know misuse of of leadership and everything else so heck yeah that that definitely adds to it almost bigger because you put oh, your yeah. faith your life your friendship your mentorship everything into those people you're under and you follow them blindly you know in into battle as they say and for them just to be like you know what hey fuck you it's like well that's that's great you know it, yeah. it just it just yeah. destroys you mm-hmm. and you know uh, the common message after anyone leaves some sort of cult church is you know like they left because they're offended and mm-hmm. you know you you know they're they're we already tried talking to them but they just won't listen their hearts are hardened and and blah 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 blah, blah. and you know they you're just encouraged to like usually not outright told to straight up shun someone, but the message is pretty clear. Like this person cut ties with us. So don't bother with them. And it's like, Whoa, like, so part of what made that so difficult is he thought he had been healed at this church. And so what had happened was like, it just kind of took on a different form. It was a little more, you know, I don't even know. I, I wonder, because it's so hard to tell, like, what was reality and what wasn't for him when I wasn't around at that point or the earlier stuff. You know, because when he was there, he heard from God and he heard God letting him not take his medication anymore. And he heard lots of positive things about callings and all these things, which are very typical also of psychotic delusions and um so it's a difficult thing to navigate in the church and it's not easy or pretty or simple and so when he left this church and it wrecked him and devastated him this positive delusion of god that he had had quickly turned negative and i think because he had had he was not open with very many people. I mean, him just telling me that it was something he had been healed from was, um, so hard for him. And so having to come back to me and say, Oh yeah, that thing that was in my past that I was ashamed of, like, Nope, it's present and it's real like now. So it Mm -hmm. took him a long time 
for him to tell me that it had come back up for him and that he was starting to hear things or see things. And it was a slow evolution. I know it was after our marriage that he had finally kind of admitted to that. Um, Cause I know we had been married for a little bit at that point. I think we were living at our house, which we bought about a year after we had been married. So at least a year into marriage before he had finally like let me know it was becoming a problem. We had a miscarriage six or seven months after we got married, which was really traumatic. Um, And he had nightmares for months about it. And also a lot of guilt and shame about his past. And then when you're also dealing with voices and some of those voices having that um, religious or spiritual authority in your head, you know, there's a lot of guilting and shaming. And so he dealt with a lot of trauma from that miscarriage. And basically a guy who was working 40 to 60 hours a week as a metal grinder, working out for two hours a day, um, playing with, um, at that time, just my kid. So, or well, our kid, but like just the one, um, playing with the kiddo, spending time with me, he would do shopping and like, he would organize the house and do all sorts of stuff. But like, he was a freaking doer, like all the time and was constantly on the ball. He was dreaming about maybe getting into, um, powerlifting and just really racking up the weight and he was really working on that and over time like he literally his brain just could not keep pushing it aside and pushing it out and so he would come home from work and be in tears because he had been just hearing stuff all day and it just wouldn't stop you know and where he was working he as a metal grinder he's full like you wear a lot of protective gear and so you're kind of like sealed in so you don't get all these metal shavings inside your gear and so you also have a breathing apparatus so it's a little claustrophobic on its own but then he's working in a booth um by himself all day you know in Mm. this kind of isolated thing just with him and the voices you know and um with that there's yeah yeah i mean it is it's mind-blowing to me how he survived it um, cause it's not just voices. It's, which I didn't know until we started really getting into the, the thick of him suffering. It's hallucinations can happen visually. They can happen auditorially. You can have olfactory hallucinations where you're smelling things that aren't there. You can have tactile hallucinations where you're feeling things mm. and, towards the end of him being able to work it got to the point where he was having to like pull people aside and say like hey is this real or whatever and like one of i think probably the worst times at work for him um he had to pull a coworker aside and ask him if his wrists were okay because he could not like see anything other than and feel anything other than his wrists sliced open and bleeding like yeah he knew there was no reason for that because he didn't do it. Nothing happened, but all he could see and feel was that, that that was true. And so, I mean, it was awful for him. Um, and it was awful for all of us because it's super hard on the family, um, to watch someone go through that. Um, and so I was, you know, 
pushing him for like, hey, like, what about therapy? What about talking to the doctor about medication and things like that? And I knew that those were really hard for him because as a teenager, he had been in the psych ward, kind of his dad dropped him off for the summer. And so this 15 year old kid with hallucinations and delusions was stuck in a psych ward for the summer by himself alone. Um, And so he had a lot of trauma with that kind of stuff. And so feeling like this train was headed that direction and there was nothing I could do to stop it was really scary. Cause it was like, like, what if we have to take him back to the hospital? What does that look like? What is our right. family going to do? Like, what if he just, is he just going to be in the psych ward forever? Like what, like, I don't, what happens? And so we, he got on medication he talked to his, his primary care doctor, which was a doctor that my mom worked for, who was just really amazing guy. He's still his doctor. Incredible, incredible man who's worked with a lot of patients with those kind of things because he works with a lot with elderly and elderly care. And a lot of those care facilities end up having a lot of mentally ill elderly patients as well. So he's worked a lot with people with schizophrenia and things like that. Um, so he was not an, at all intimidated by what was going on with Richie and was was very willing to talk to him and really push him and say, hey, like, are you sure you should be going back to work? I really feel like you should take some more time. Like, your brain needs to rest, you know. And, you know, so he would take some time off take off a week here he would call in sick for a day there and it took a long time for him to finally get to the point where he was really calling in a lot and struggling and at that point um because you have a bunch of questions so it's all going to kind of work in so I'll just kind of so what prompted me kind of to start it start the podcast and start really digging into it was um, mental health awareness month came up in May of, I think it was like 2017. And I was like, Oh, my husband's going through this terrible struggle. Nobody really knows except for like one or two, um, people at our church, which was a different church at the time. We thought it was a good, healthy church. They were a good community for a long time. Um, until they weren't, but Anyway, uh, (laughs) side thing. So uh, so nobody really knew. Uh, But I had depression and anxiety. And I was like, you know what? Like, he can't be open about his thing. But I can put it out there about me. Like, I don't care if people think I'm crazy. Fuck them. (laughs) Who cares? Like, I'll be be labeled crazy. And, like, let people shun me if they're going to shun someone on behalf of a mental illness. Like, let me be the tester kind of like let Richie test the waters with people with me being open right like so it's like all right I'm just gonna put it out there and be like hey this is me I'm crazy and like I I'm mentally ill technically you know and all this stuff and and I reached out to a couple other friends I was like hey you know like um if you want to share something I'm trying to like just kind of put some awareness out there and so I had I think my mom shared a little bit and then one other friend and then Richie's like, well, I think I want to, I think I want to make a post. I was like, what do you, like, about your, like everything, like schizophrenia and all that stuff. And he's like, he's like, yeah. I was like, are you sure? Like, I don't care. Like, if you want to be open, I a hundred percent support you. But that's a really big step going from like nobody to like 
everybody. Yeah. You know, that could be really traumatic or feel really exposing. Like, are you sure that you want to do that? So I made him kind of sit on it for a couple of days because I, <laughs> I was like, I don't know what we're in for. Like, this could be scary for you. Um, and so that post came around and he had like such a huge outpouring of support from people and just like, Oh my gosh, I had no idea you were struggling with this stuff. And it, I think it really gave him the boost of confidence that he needed to keep going because the shit hit the fan, I think within the next two weeks. And I don't know if that was related in any way to him kind of exposing himself or not um regardless it was really good that he did because then when the shit hit the fan i was able to publicly say hey like i don't know what the fuck is going on my husband's in the hospital i don't know what to do i have no idea and so it was it put me in a position where i could be open about it which was exactly what we needed because he went in that first time and it was not a good facility. <laughs> um, it was pretty, pretty awful. We found out later. Um, and that first stay, he ended up uh, cutting his wrist. It wasn't a full on suicide attempt, but he was trying to get the voices to stop until they would get him some medication. And so he, I think he just grabbed one of the utensils that was around and just did what he had to do mm. and um so the first time I saw him after I dropped him off at the hospital like he had cuts on his wrist and I was like I I brought him here because I couldn't keep him safe and I haven't been able to see him in the past 24 hours and you let him cut himself like it was devastating because it was like, how do I navigate this if mm -hmm. the people who are supposed to be able to keep people safe in the worst situations couldn't even keep him from cutting himself in a 24-hour time span? Like, what is that? So it really kind of blew open how big of a problem mental health and mental illness was for me in a really big way you know it wasn't just our family like this whole facility like then I'm getting other people are messaging me and connecting with me and be like oh yeah you know we've had this problem or I'm just starting to see like all of a sudden this whole thing is broken open wide and it's like I see it everywhere and I see how it permeates and touches everyone you know if one in five have a mental illness then everyone knows someone with a mental illness, you know, and the chances are 20% that you're going to have one at some point this year. So, so like, this is not an uncommon thing or anything to stigmatize. It's something to face head on. And so at that point during five hospital trips that were 10 to 12 days a piece, um, in about 11 months, it was like, we have to do something, whatever that is. I am not the person who can keep quiet. Like I have to reach out because my head is spinning so fast that I need someone to slap me sometimes and just be like, calm down. Like we can work on this. And, and that's what my, my family is pretty good at. Um, and so it just was like, okay, 
we have to address this. How do we address this? How do we get the word out? How do we, you know, and it was never just about our story because for every time I spoke up, I had a couple of people like messaging me privately and telling me about private struggles that they couldn't talk about. And I was like, well, fuck this. If I can talk, it's not about me, but I'm totally fine getting the conversation going and saying like, Hey, I'm crazy. Our life is terrible. If you look at it through the lens of societal success, it's awful. It is the worst. But my life is beautiful in so many ways, too, because I was forced to kind of start completely measuring it off a a totally different system. And that system was love, you know, in a a big way. Um, And I feel like I've not stopped talking. Sorry. (laughs) I don't need to, like, totally take over. No, Um, no. This is this is (laughs) this is what we what we want here. I mean, this show is about giving people a voice i mean yeah you have your own show but your story is incredibly unique and beautiful even through the pain um like like everything you said i it goes well it goes to to what you're saying like i know i can and i i'm pretty sure julia has too connected with so much of what you've gone through and what you're doing and and how it's affected you know because i thought i was alone as a guy, when I started finding my own mental illness and, and fighting that, like, okay, I'm alone. Yeah, guys talk about it. But, like, the real, the real, the real crap side of it. Like, everyone talks about a lot of the glamour side of mental illness. And I know mm-hmm. that sounds really weird to say out loud. But, like, mm-hmm. you know, oh, yeah, depression. Oh, yeah, this. And they and they, they hit on those things. And then they give the science. But they don't have those conversations where it's well, it's bad it's yeah. ugly but yet we're going to make it through like well, that's they powerful. usually usually when any mental illness is brought up especially in the christian circles it's always brought up after it's been beaten or after the worst is over mm-hmm. it's never when you just figured it out mm-hmm. or when you mm-hmm. just you know you're when you're in the middle of a dark depression spiral and yeah you don't have any you know positive spin to end the post and you know just have i had faith in god and god got me through it and now i see the sunshine every day like it's always that it's never like it's never hey i want to kill myself and that's it (laughs) like i believe in god but he's gone i don't feel him and i'm done with life like no one no one ever well i won't say no one but Mm -hmm. you don't hear that And I definitely didn't hear that growing up. And when, you know, people, when you do say stuff like that, oh, you got the devil in you, you need to go pray. You're obviously rebelling in some area of your life. And this is God showing you. And this is your punishment. You're obviously Mm -hmm. doing something we don't know, but you know. And that makes it worse, especially if you have depression, especially if you're, you know, you have anxiety and you're like, well, what is it? Where am I going wrong that I've spiraled so far into sin, you know, that I I, I want to hurt myself? And it, it doesn't offer any answers. So, yeah, um, hearing people's stories through the mess is what makes it beautiful because we are all there. At some point in our life, we are all in the middle of the mess with no idea what to do. And to know that other people mm-hmm. experience that and they don't have, well, I'm bad, but, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm I'm in a bad place. But here's, you know, an offer a quick solution. Um it I, it's helpful but 
hearing that there is no answer when they're in the middle of it sometimes is a good helpful thing too yeah yeah definitely. yeah um, and it's like the other thing is there is no answer these things are so complicated that it, you know sometimes it is just a medication that needs to be added but most of the time there's so much deep stuff that is there's so many layers to it, you know, and we like, I think as humans, we so want to simplify things so that we can understand them, we can categorize them, and then we can figure out, okay, well, what do I do with this information? Is this person safe? Is this person not safe? Is this person someone I can depend on or not? Is this, um, are they for me or against me? Are they on my team or not? And especially in mental illness, like you just don't get to make those really pretty clean lines and sometimes you do you're like you know what Jesus is the answer and he saved me and I get it this suffering has a purpose and other times you're like what the fuck god like how do you let someone hurt this much without doing something like I'm a parent I don't understand how you can let someone hurt so much like if I'm, if we're supposed to be your kids where are you you know and those moments are I think they're with us a lot more than we want to admit but I also think that those times give us the most opportunity to see God in ways that we didn't expect I think that especially within the church we like to focus on the scriptures like you know in second Timothy where God doesn't give us a spirit of fear he gives us a spirit with a sound mind or you know Philippians and that anxiety verse that i oh my gosh i (laughs) cannot stand that verse or uh paul's Um, i have a thorn in my flesh and i just gotta get through it (laughs) yeah yeah it's like you know so many times those verses are thrown at the thrown at us and i mean there's reasons that first of all we need to look back at the language and what the (laughs) definitions were and all that but at the same time it's like okay, great, thanks for telling me don't be anxious. How do I do that? My brain doesn't turn off. Mm -hmm. I don't care how many times you tell me that Jesus is the answer and that Jesus made me and um, I'm a, a good creation and he loves me and he wants good things for me. But also, like, I also hear you're the depraved wretch and there's nothing good about you and you're just a sinner and you're just evil and you're dead until Christ brings you to life. And you're like, but I don't feel Christ, so then I'm just a wretch. And what? Like, how do I sort this out when I can't even get, you know, two legs underneath me to get out of bed? Like, my brain will not work. So tell me how to just how do I make it work? Be anxious. And I'll get on that because I would Mm -hmm. love to just not be anxious. Mm -hmm. Um, But it doesn't quite work like that. And I, you know, have also heard the Christians can't have psychosis because God doesn't give us a spirit of fear. He gives us a spirit of a sound mind. And I'm like, what? Do you even know what that's talking about? That's talking about like. That's what Paul was talking about. (laughs) No, no, not at all. You know, and he's talking about like sensible, like use common sense like not yeah. like oh you can't your brain can't be broken because you are sensible like no and how does that help someone who's at least you know even if you don't think they're actually experiencing that 
how do you help someone who thinks they're experiencing that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, well, and again, with what you said, I mean, just hearing your story, there's so many layers. Fixing one is not going to fix them all. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And especially with us, we have so much, you know, there's this, and that's the surface of what you see. And then there's, you know, our entire, what, 28, 29 years on this earth. And there's so much stuffed into that. And just telling someone, here's one simple way, well, not one simple way, but here's here's the fix, and it's one step, you know, <laughs> don't do it. Well, I think, it isn't I think, helpful. Mm-hmm. Well, I think people get caught up with, like, trying to treat the, the symptoms more than the actual issue. And the actual issue mm-hmm. is you got to love people. Like, and they don't want to do that. They don't want to get knee deep in the crap. They don't want to love people. They just want to give you that pill to, this might help, this might not help, and go away. Well, it's messy, and and it's mm -hmm. confusing, and it's uncomfortable. (laughs) I mean, even as someone who struggles with, (laughs) with, you know, depression, anxiety, I'm uncomfortable when someone else is because I don't know what to do. I want to help, but I know very well from my own experiences that there's not much that I can do besides say I love you I'm here can I make you some brownies like that's as far (laughs) as I can go because I know there's not a lot that takes it just takes time sometimes and knowing that there's someone that cares and even even knowing that doesn't do much and again it makes me feel sad because I don't want people like I love you I'm like I know you love me my brain tells me you hate me and you're just doing it for you know whatever you know whatever reason my brain figures out that day but yeah there's so much more stacked underneath that yeah you're right we just need a love <laughs> well well and it's the, i mean is, there's the simple answer but, Number well one. but it isn't because to like to love someone <laughs> through something like yes they teach us how to like love in a marriage and you know all these things and they teach us that but like there and you need to be a good friend but no one really wants to teach what that means that it's not just always necessarily even being there it's how you're being there mm-hmm. um because mm-hmm. i can be there for a buddy but if I'm not there intentionally for them and I'm just kind of present, I'm not really part of their lives. And we've noticed that through people we've just are, became friends with, that the more we were there for them through thick and thin and present when it mattered in those moments, that that changed their life. And it mm-hmm. changed my life and, and made me healthier just by knowing they know. They know and they don't care that what's happening. They just care that I'm okay right now. And like that helps so much, Um, at at least for me. Um, But personally, that's that's what I think it is. I think it's love. If we just loved, we would completely cut out a chunk of of all these issues. (laughs) I think there's some very good scripture to back that up, you know, and I think there's also like a ton of evidence if we look around us to back that up too. We can watch people's lives change when we apply a lot of those principles of choosing to love someone, even in their ugly, you know, you've got the Galatians six bearing each other's burdens and fulfilling the law of Christ. Mm-hmm. You have Jesus talking in Matthew, you know, you, you need, you know, 
feeding me, like feeding the least of these, clothing them, you know, they're thirsty, they're stranger, be naked and giving them clothing, sick and took care of me in prison and visited me. And like doing all those things to the least of those is doing them to Jesus. Like it's that important to him. And yet we so quickly put that aside so that we can talk about, well, it says like you shouldn't be anxious and like, so don't like, wait, <laughs> no, I am anxious. So you need to come and bear this burden with me or you need to stop claiming the name of Christ. I always love when people say that. I always love to point out when Jesus was praying right before he went to his death. That he was so anxious, he was, like, bleeding, <laughs> like, crying, right, right, right. You, you know? Like, it was that intense. And, you know, he didn't turn around to his disciples, all right, I just chose not to be anxious, <laughs> you know? Right. He just yeah. said, come, just be this. near me and pray with me. Just be near me. And that's all he asked them mm-hmm. to do. And, and yeah, and like, you know what? He got frustrated when, he, when they didn't, too. Like, yeah. I think that's really interesting. Like, he was anxious as shit. Yeah, I like think he was like, the most anxious. You gotta be here with me, be. like, yeah, that's it. Just be with me. And they're like, but I'm tired. <laughs> and he's like, I'm gonna I die. <laughs> right? You're telling me. Jesus so I mean, I <laughs> was cheap. I took it. I'm sorry. Oh no, <laughs> it's all good. So yeah. it's just you know, I think all this gets so messy. In that it looks really hard um, in the middle of it, but it's like, it's also very simple. It's like when we see those needs in each other, we are supposed to and called to and commanded to meet those needs in each other. And that is how the Holy Spirit works. That is how God does miracles. God does miracles when he works inside us and moves us to kindness and love and compassion to the community and the people around us. You know, those are the things that are miracles. When we are moved beyond ourselves, and we reach farther and deeper than we have been able to before and we see people where they are and we have those little glimpses that I think are straight from the Holy Spirit of like, oh my God, you are a real person and you are hurting and you are broken and you are not just this frustrating thing in my life that is this obstacle to my happiness. Like it's the Holy Spirit who's like, hey, this is my beloved too. And they're hurting and you're here representing me and I want you to do something about it. And that's how I work. <laughs> kind of like he like got he spelled it out kind of clearly. And so, you know, every time we ignore those things, I think it is such a detriment to what the Lord is trying to do. I think it's such an affront to love and to the sacrifice that was given for us when we reject those that we are very specifically called to serve. Oh yeah, definitely. So, what would you what would you say since I mean we're we're on this of what Jesus we know what he says and and how to to take care of us it is blatant we know it to be blatant and to be there for us why do you think then that the church has gotten it wrong for so incredibly long then like the like the place that is supposed to be refuge and hope and strength and love has pushed so incredibly hard against mental illness and it is something you can't see but I can't see the holy spirit either 
you know, um, it's kind of the same thing in a way, in a way. Um, Why do you think they push so hard against mental illness and just kind of put it on that back burner of never to be touched again? I think that it's a, a lot, a lot of things. I think the things that I think stand out to me the most are, we have come a long way in just the last hundred or 200 years and learning about the brain, learning about behaviors and going, Hey, like, even though we want to believe that this person did that thing because they're bad, it's also probably connected to this trauma that also just happened. And, you know, we can piece together a little more about why we do the things we do. And, I think it's so much easier to be like, oh, well, that person did it because they're bad, not because I'm supposed to love them through that ugliness. Um, And that person just is rejecting Christ. It's like, no, that person literally cannot see their own sickness. And we know that now. And Mm -hmm. there are things that we didn't know then. And I think it's time to update those things. I think the the places in scripture where the word anxiety is used, I think if we, when we translate the Bible again, we need to take that word out. We need to put it in there with something that's more appropriate to what they understood. You know, that word, um, and I cannot pronounce it right, so I'm not even going to try, <laughs> but it's talking about not having a divi- divided mind and not having divided attention or divided focus. Don't let yourself be split up by things. Like, that's not clinical anxiety. Yep. So stop trying to make it that thing. Stop it. You know, um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I think that's part of it. And then I think, you know, we, we don't want to update because it's too hard. And I think we just really want things to be black and white. And mental illness is just this gray thing that's slowly coming into focus in our society. And the church likes black and white. We like to stick to black and white because we can label it and define it. And we can pray over it one way or pray over it another. And we also can put ourselves in a hierarchy then, too. And we can be like, well, that's sin. And, you know, and they're icky. And I'm not. So it's cool. Um, And also, like... (laughs) I was totally feeling anxious one time and I prayed and I was okay. So why can't they? And so it's easy to not go and pursue some knowledge about that. Well, why can't some people deal with the anxiety that I can deal with? Well, that has to do with a lot of things. One of the things is how you are raised. Things like coping skills are skills that you learn. They're like muscles. And in order to build up a muscle, first you have to know how to exercise it. You have to know what it does. You have to know to work it. And then you actually have to do the work of building the muscle, which takes small weights and then bigger and then bigger. And then you have to take care of that muscle and you have to rest and you have to figure out all the nuances there. And that's the same thing with these different coping skills and different ways that we deal with all these things. And the church doesn't seem to want to make room for anything other than prayer being the answer. Um, prayer is really helpful in a lot of ways, but it's not the only way to combat a real mental brain neurobiological illness. So I don't know. There's a lot of reasons that, that I think there's a lot of pushback. I think for me, um, a quick backstory, I was raised in a 
culture and in in, a, in churches that did not believe mental illnesses really existed, I was not really even aware of them. I up in, even until my twenties, I like I knew depression existed, you know, from all those commercials on TV. You're feeling sad or down, <laughs> or you know, there's a cute little cartoon that's walking around with gray clouds over their heads. I, I didn't uh-huh. really know it was a thing up until what, like six years ago? If if that, it was almost <laughs> after, way after we got married, way, way after, after, way after we... I went through mine even. Oh my goodness. Like I went through mine with bipolar and you you started going down that road. Well, once quickly. I started, yeah, I started researching um Clay's bipolar and, you know, and I was and then I started researching mental illnesses, then I'm like, "Oh man, depression sounds really familiar. Like those all those symptoms, <laughs> ah, that that's kind of me." But man, it re- not not knowing uh that those even existed wreaked havoc in our life especially, but in my life Definitely. And as I've been going to therapy, I've been seeing more and more. I'm like, I might have had depression a heck of a lot longer than I thought. Oh, yeah. Like looking back early, as my, my therapist said, probably even when I was six or seven, I had crazy anxiety mm. about sleeping. Like, uh, and I didn't know. I just thought I was scared of the dark, but I would literally be sick if everybody else went to sleep before me. I would get sick and I would start crying and I would call my parents. And as long as they were up, I was okay and I can go to sleep. But if I was laying in bed, I would start panicking because my sisters were asleep across the room and everyone was dark. It, it, it was nuts. And I'm looking like that was, I was having panic attacks like that, you know, and, yeah. and just going over and, and, you know, I would cry a lot and everything would, everything would make me cry. And people are like, oh, it's mm. just hormones. You're a girl. You cry. That's normal. Like, That's you know, um, so, you know, I've been doing a lot of research and uh, it's kind of scary knowing that there's more. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't just these last few years that I've been depressed because I was like, oh, you know, having kids, that's what started it, you know, postpartum. And then I never dealt with mm. it. Oh, my goodness. I could I can go on for a long time about my postpartum with my middle child, but um, actually I would love to talk to you about that sometime. So maybe we'll have to schedule <laughs> another thing. Definitely uh, one got, I want to touch on for sure. I, I definitely got suicidal, and again I had mm-hmm. when I when it was with her, I had no idea. They would tell me, "Oh, there's postpartum. I exist. It's when you're sad after your kid." I'm like, "I'm not sad. I'm fine. I just wake up feeling like I'm gonna die that day." <laughs> like, and I would or they always... don't tell you that it could be really, really angry. You could have rage. Yes. <laughs> and, and I did. And I would mm. think, I did. <laughs> but what would happen yeah. is that is that I would blame Clay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I can talk about this now. It wasn't funny then, but I could talk. But I would wake up. And no, just... some of it was funny back then. Like in, in, in your own defense, some of it was like, we're really fighting over this. Really? I would, I would wake up uh, in, in, you know, we, we were, we, I was raised culty, very spiritual, very like, if you're feeling sad, you got to pray it's demons attacking you. You know, oh, you gosh, got, yeah. if, mm-hmm. if you're, if you're, if you have this bad feeling, you got to pray until it goes away. Or, mm-hmm. you know, there's something in your life that, that is causing unrepentant sin. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And, and so I would wake up and I'd feel just awful. And, and I, you probably remember this. I would wake up and tell him, like, Clay, I got that feeling again. He's like, what? I'm like, we're going to fight. <laughs> like, 
like it's just, oh. like I'm like I have that feeling it's gonna mm-hmm. fight and we're, it's gonna end bad and I, I just had this horrible feeling oh. something horrible is going to happen and I didn't know what to call it anxiety then didn't know to call it depression so the whole day I'd be on eggshells just like what's gonna happen and it would intrusive thoughts would jump up there like oh he's gonna die when he goes to work you're gonna die oh, when you cross that street you're gonna cut mm. yourself you're, you know all these random you know i would just start like oh, what's gonna happen what's gonna happen god's trying to tell mm. me something and i'm not in tune enough to hear it. like oh, it gosh. was mm-hmm. a wreck and so we yeah. would fight and i'm like ha ha i knew it <laughs> you know and oh, you know, oh it, it's his fault the reason i'm so sad is because we're fighting all the time and I never try, mm. you know, I never even thought to go, maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe he's not the reason I'm so sad all the time. Maybe our, mm. us not working or my kid, me not raising my kid in the way I want to, you know, maybe, maybe there's something else going on. So it took me and researching Clay's mental illness to even see that I, yeah. I I had it and it was severe. Like even now I'm testing, you know, those little, those little tests they give you. Um, to you know how severe is your anxiety how severe is your depression they mm-hmm. ask you like 20 to 40 questions my therapist goes um you're on the highest mark for anxiety and the second highest for depression we need to do some work <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but you know I'm, I'm just thinking like man if i knew that if i knew if i just had the idea that that existed back in my early 20s back when i was a teenager mm-hmm so much trauma (laughs) that I usually inflicted upon myself because I'm crazy introspective and I just figure everything out in my head and then vomit it out (laughs) in my life. If I had just known it existed, if the church had, if the church, and you know, it's not the church's fault. It's a myriad of, 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 of stuff, but man, if people had been more willing to be open to it, to say, Hey, this exists and we need to talk about it. And we need to let people mm-hmm. know what's going on. I think mm-hmm. that would have been so helpful to me. And if it would have been helpful to me, I know it would have been helpful to uh, tons of people. And uh, Absolutely. Yeah. So I think the reason, <laughs> all that to say, um, I think the church pushes back because it's unknown ground. Like, as you yes. said, there's no... It feels it's not it feels like God is not in control. And if, you know, right, people, if you don't can't assure your your congregation that God isn't in control, then is is he really exists? You know, they'll think, oh, that's going to spiral into everyone mm-hmm. becoming atheists, <laughs> you know, instead of, mm-hmm. you know, rely on God, even if you don't know the answers. Um, right. Right. But, you know, it gives that, oh, well, if God isn't the answer, what then? You know, if we can't just pray and God relieve us of our of our pain and sufferings, does he even exist? You know, people, I think that's where a lot of leaders in my life have spiraled into. So as long as we just don't talk about it, as long as we don't acknowledge it existed, mm. eh, we, yeah, we, we don't hear about it and we don't, you know, we don't have to have to deal with it. So I think, I think that's one of the reasons. Yeah. Well, like for me, you know, I didn't know what bipolar was i mean well i did but unfortunately growing up for me it was it was a woman's problem Ah. not a man's Mm -hmm. problem Mm -hmm. and and, and culturally that's what it was and i'm just like okay cool whatever and and then i started realizing it and and for me it was incredibly difficult to even see that because the church pushes so much 
well, been over this, but toxic masculinity in the church and has for so long that aggression was accepted. So my anxiety, my depression, my manic phases were all ruled is just you just being a dude. And it's like, okay, are you you, you sure? I bloodied my knuckles on the tree and rode a skateboard off a three story building. Um, This is just being a guy. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. And I just go back and, you know, do whatever. And, you know, I'd break into homes when I was young and, and I do all these crazy things that were just jacked up. And it was just being mm-hmm. rambunctious. And so bipolar, which I'm just like just like Julia said, I'm I'm pretty sure I've had for a very long time, at least starting mm-hmm. in high school. Man, was I didn't never even put those two together. Oh, God, yes. You said that I'm like, oh, that makes so much sense. Cause oh, I had plenty <laughs> of death wishes. Like, like, and and I was, I was that kid that like I and oh I still, gosh. I still have it. I don't have much fear. Like, fear is an odd thing to me. I I fear like three things: um, tornadoes. My mind is just being blown over here. Excuse big, me. Big, big, large dogs, <laughs> no, that's okay. and that's I and, and spiders. Like those things scared the bejeebus out of me. Everything else, like, I really don't know what it's like to, like, walk up to anyone and talk to them, get in, mm-hmm. get into a fight, be aggressive. Like, I, that doesn't scare me. Nope. And it should. Yeah. And it's, I've always <laughs> been that way. And again, it was just pushed off as me being a normal guy when really it's, mm-hmm. no, I'm a, I'm a rapid cycling manic when I was in high school. And so I always was in a manic phase and very little in a depressive phase. So I was king of the world. you know and and that's just how it was um and for me the church would never when i did would come like dude i i want to hurt myself oh you're you're Mm. just hormones dude dude you're just going Mm. through it um you got a girlfriend no (laughs) well if you get one trust me it'll make it easier and i'm like (laughs) um i see where you're going but that so so sex makes me want to stop not kill myself like that's that's how that works ah. and so that got put into my mind for a long time which then warped my already warped view of sex and a relationship and like it already you know just bastardized the whole process to begin with within led into our relationship and it just snowballs mm-hmm. from those little interactions mm-hmm. um but i don't know it's it's such a hard topic with getting the church absolutely i, I, I honestly think the church would have to shut down as a whole and reboot and like reboot <laughs> and just restart yeah. completely with a new program. For, I, you for know, I, I, I sometimes I kind of agree, but you know, I was also thinking. I just remembered, like, also, so, um, psychiatry itself. There was earlier um, periods of time where there was like it was more anti-church or like, Oh, religion can be bad. Or, or that's, there was kind of this divide between psychiatry and the church. And it was like, well, religion is just silly. That's a mental illness or whatever. And so there was that divide, but psychiatry doesn't hold that viewpoint anymore. If someone's in a um, religion that is, um, you know, seeming to help them and having a positive effect in their life, most psychiatrists and therapists are like, do it, stay in that community, build that up. That's totally fine. As long as you're staying healthy, taking care of yourself. Like most of them have very much changed their stances on 
churches and healthy religious communities and things like that. So it's like I there was that divide too historically. And I think the church still needs to heal from that and be like, oh, we can stop going, you know, and covering our ears and saying, no, 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 psychiatry is mean. Um, and we can start listening again because they don't hate us anymore, you know. Um <laughs> so yeah, I think we we kind of got our feelings hurt and we were like, well, you're mean, so we're not gonna like you either and we're not going to acknowledge anything you say so that is the other part with church and mental illness um, i definitely can relate to that i grew up where psychiatrists were demonic almost Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) like do not listen they're just trying to lead you away because they're not going to use god they're going to try and use science to fix you and science isn't the answer they believe in evolution so if they believe in evolution (laughs) oh gosh must yep Yep. you know they must not you know Oh, I still am like, yes. oh, psychiatrist. And then part of me is like, stupid. No, stop. That's not you. <sighs> so what? Don't what call do you yourself think, stupid. You know, I don't want to th- throw out problems without s- solutions. What do you think are a few ways that we as a church, because we're the church, you know, uh, what, mm-hmm. what can we do locally and maybe in a more global sense? <laughs> global let's start with our country first (laughs) but you know how can we address these issues without you know just putting war paint on and charging into a shirt (laughs) charging into a church Mm -hmm. i don't know i can't but you know what can we do to reduce that stigma to reduce that awkwardness of oh i don't know if i want to talk about that it's church and jesus you know you know what i'm talking about (laughs) Mm -hmm. absolutely (laughs) So um, there's two parts to that. So the church and how we love people with mental illness. And that's kind of actually the exciting part is that I think a lot of the things that Jesus told us to do are actually really beneficial to all of us and in our mental health too. You know, we were given the two greatest commandments, love the Lord your God and then love your neighbor as yourself. So that means you have to love your neighbor and you also have to love yourself and realize that you are valuable and that you are worthy and you are a beautiful creation and that you're an image bearer and, and made in the image of God. And, and that's beautiful. And we need to be willing to step into that and say, you know what? I am a representative of God. I totally have permission to just go feed that person instead of praying that God sends a miracle of McDonald's to them or something. Like, <laughs> I can just go do that. I do not need to ask permission. I was literally already told to. So mm-hmm. it's totally fine. I know you guys have kids. I'm sure your kids ask you questions that you're like, I already told you to do that. Like, what do you <laughs> just go do it? I Why said, are you yes. asking me about it? Like, come on, I'm trying to watch a movie. Like, <laughs> But just like we were told, like, go do it. And a lot of those things have really positive benefits. But then, so I'm also learning a lot about touch and um, that we have um, a lot of potential to heal each other and to provide support in very physical ways through human touch. Our bodies are wired in a very fascinating and in a very community-oriented way. And when I say physical touch, people think, oh, love languages. And it's like, 
but wait, like, no, I'm talking about like, this is the foundation of love. You can't communicate love without touch or without having had a foundation of touch in your life, because it literally teaches your mind and your body how to be loved or how to express love. Um, and if you go back, there's a lot of talk in the old Testament about don't touch this unclean, don't touch, don't touch, don't touch. And I think one of the things that the church needs to reexamine about itself is the anti-touch and the purity culture and the anti, um, LGBTQIA, um, thing because regardless of the church's stance on those things what we tend to do is put these in categories of unclean and we don't touch them we're afraid that if i give this person a hug oh they're the opposite gender what's gonna someone's gonna (laughs) say something or it's gonna be sexual or oh this is the same gender and that person might be gay and what if i get the gay on me and it's like right like i mean it's funny but at the same time it's like people are literally dying and we have incredible power through our physical bodies and i love the way jesus heals with touch too he doesn't always heal with touch but when he does it's like you know he didn't have to do that he didn't have to touch that person but he connected with them and he reached out to them except when the woman who was bleeding and she grabbed him and then he was like, Hey, let's connect more. Let's talk for a second. Um, You touched me. So, um, but we do have this incredible, I, and I think it's a gift and I think we are created that way. And so we have to start looking for more creative ways. We know that, that, that mental illness is a thing and we're begrudgingly starting to admit it. So we need to start looking more and accepting some of the solutions that are out there. One of those things is um, physical touch, but then therapy, we need to start okaying those things. And then, you know, a lot of churches are getting more okay about medication, but medication does not cure anything. And oftentimes those medications come with very serious and hopefully not worse than your mental illness side effects. And if you have a good drug, it means your side effects are less than your mental illness, but that's not all drugs. And it takes a lot to get there. It's taken Richie a lot of drugs to get to a place where the side effects weren't so unbearable that he couldn't stand taking them and would rather see the house on fire and demons and his wrists cut than take that pill. Like if someone would rather live in that than take that, those pills, that should tell you something about how difficult it is to live with those things. And so just because you have a church member who is on medication, like that doesn't mean that everything's hunky dory. We still need to know about these things. So educating ourselves as a church and saying, Hey, this is a thing and we got to get with the picture. So let's talk, let's talk, let's talk, let's talk, let's talk. Let's not stop talking. How do we bring this back around? Oh, wait, has this, wait, are you taking this message right when I say that, you know, we're nothing without Jesus? Like, that's not ma- causing you to be suicidal, right? Like, can, can we, like, we need to, like, 
finesse our language a little bit. And I don't mean in any way that's getting away from the truth, but we need to also recognize that the people who are the most susceptible to misunderstanding these things are also some of the people who are the most susceptible to being hurt by these things and dying without ever understanding what was, what the point was, you know? So it's sometimes it does require being soft and saying, you know what, I'm not going to come hard on this bad thing that I think they did and saying like, Hey, maybe they did that bad thing because they're really hurting inside. And maybe we need to address that hurt before we address the behavior because the behavior is just a symptom of the deep inner hurt and the deep inner things that are going on. Those things don't change when you just change a behavior. That inner work is done through love and that is established through community. And so the church already has a really beautiful system, you know, weekly meetings that you get to see people that you love and like, you know, nobody likes to do it, but you know, the handshaking and all that stuff, cause it's so awkward. Like it's the most awkward thing ever. But if we could get to a place where like, how do we touch each other more as a church and not be weird? Cause we freaking love each other. We know it's powerful. How do we, you know, how do we do all these things? Cause we have a lot of power as the church and a beautiful system in place that if we could update these things and inform ourselves on the different things and the different people that are walking through our doors, we have the p- potential and the power to do really a mind-blowing amount of work um, in spreading the gospel, which is the good news that Jesus came and he came to save us and he came to heal us and he came to connect us back with God and restore that relationship, you know, and if we're constantly burning bridges because we're like, they're not good. They're not good. We don't like them. They didn't, they didn't, how do they read that scripture? That's wrong. I don't like that. And just burning all these bridges. How are we building relationship? How is that ever going to change? And it's not, and we have to recognize that. So, I mean, reaching out, I guess churches need to also, connect with people who are doing that work in the community. NAMI is a super wonderful one. I don't know if you guys have gotten a chance to get involved with them at all yet. Not involved But their family them, to family class. But I've read a lot of their stuff. Yeah. And I yeah. uh, okay. I follow them and whatever, but I haven't jumped in that oh. boat yet. I want to. I just It's not easy to go <laughs> at first cuz you're like what the heck is this? But like their family to family class is like a 12 week course that meets once a week. And f- my class was full of a lot of parents, parents who had adult children, a lot of times sons living in their basements, playing video games all day, smoking cigarettes, not having jobs. You know what? Those are also symptoms of mental illness, but those are things that we like to make fun of and put people down for. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're yep. hiding in a basement because you're to- too terrified to talk to anyone? Ugh. Well, it's just because you're just antisocial and you just want to be lazy. Yeah. <laughs> you just love them video games. Like, no, I hide in video games because I can't face physical people. Like, there's some there's fantastic a statistics of uh, video yeah. games and uh, mental illness. We went into that a few years ago. Well, yeah, like when we just I just did an episode with a good buddy of mine, Micah Dunn, who we talked a little bit about that, that I think the last time I looked it up, it was almost one in three gamers has a mental illness, if not more. And that was a study done in 2016. Um, Mm. And so we've had some years now where that study is still going on and it is rampant in the gaming community. Um, 
that hmm. I mean, well, because you run to a game because that's a world you can control. Your depression doesn't exist. Absolutely. Your anxiety doesn't exist. I ran to it because no one understood me. And the friends I did yeah. have also have mental illness in some way. And they'll admit mm-hmm. it, whether they're getting help or not. They know they got something wrong with them. And they go to games mm-hmm. because that is a world that I am safe. Because if my mind's not yeah. thinking to itself, I'm thinking about that. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, gamers gamers are one of the, another, are, are hot, or they're a hot spot for mental illness. And, and I understand also a why. a hot spot for severe criticism from the church society oh yeah yeah. and what a beautiful place that the church could love on oh there's a hot spot of people who are suffering and lonely and feel Uh rejected by us hey let's focus on how do we change that you know i think listening is super important right Mm -hmm. we need to listen to those gamers what do those gamers need from the church what are they missing they're all incredibly brilliant people like we're we're pretty heavy in the gaming community and they are just they're some of the smartest people we know who spend a lot of their time in video games. And part of us is like, oh, you could offer so much. But at the same time, we're like, I know exactly how you feel because that's where I run to. And I'm feeling completely out of control and want to tune out for a while. It's just it, it gives it's a, it's a tricky subject. Well, well it sure. is. But also a lot because a lot of the like a lot of the people we've walked with in our gaming community, they are they feel deeply. It's not just they feel mm-hmm. like when, when they call you family, it is not just I'm just saying it. It's what right. do you need? You know, I've I've said, hey, my tires broke or I'm out of gas today. Within like five minutes, I got three phone calls from three different people being like, hey, I'm on my way. And I'm like, well, mm-hmm. I only need one of you, you know, because they, <laughs> they feel deeply. But it's um, taken two when you're years hurting. for us to get their trust and their. Well, and their and their to earn it so that yeah. we're not going to throw it away. It's taken us a long but, time to get there. Yeah. yeah. So you guys got into a gamer family who will drop things and do all this stuff regardless of if you match up with their beliefs, but yet you can't find that in the church. We kind of started an awkward non-Christian church, church um, because we're, well, no. no. Yeah, how do, we, how do Christian. we describe that? Um, we meet every week. We eat together every week. We play uh, games every week. And, and, and usually, sometimes we're just like, we don't know what we want to do. And they're like, okay, we'll show up anyways. And we sit around the table and stare at each other going, what do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? I don't know. We're going to go watch some TV. Okay, let's go watch some TV. It's it's <laughs> it's weird. We started a very awkward church. <laughs> hey. We That's okay. The Church of Awkward anyway. is a good one. Yeah. But but no, so and and to go with that, like with the stigma, that's a lot of them who have had pastor church experiences have talked about that stigma. And I think if if the church was doing what both of y'all have said in regards to the, the stigma being there and how to get rid of it and how, you know, to to go out of there, that they would still either be in church or be healthier because of it. Um, because that's where they first ran to, it seemed like, when they were younger um, or were taken to. I think we just need to listen more. I think if we were able to listen and people felt safe enough to give their voice and give their story, we would do a lot better. Less less preach and more listening. But, But seriously, like... With the like sermons and those they're great and they're needed and teaching is needed but um yeah if we listened and if we didn't immediately reject things that were uncomfortable mm-hmm. yes. if, we, if we said more 
I don't know how I feel about that. I'm, I'm a little uncomfortable, but you know what? Let me look into that. Instead of just going, no, mm-hmm. Jesus is the answer. You're wrong. You know, mm-hmm. if we accepted ideas and thought about them and digested them more and allowed a spotlight, that's not where I'm trying to go. My brain a just venue, shut down. The no. cannon. Oh, Allow the space no. for it. It's gone. I'll think of it at like 12 o'clock tonight. <laughs> but yeah, if we just listened mm-hmm. to more. Yeah. We heard, if we didn't just hear from one guy every week, if we heard from different parts of the, the congregation more, I think we could grow a lot more. Even if it was uncomfortable, even if it was just like... Oh, I don't know about that. But, you know, we need to be challenged like that in order to grow. So that's my take. Absolutely. I totally agree. (laughs) Yeah. I would love to see some more churches just incorporating more things for people who are disabled in general. Um, You know, I had the really great opportunity of going to a church recently who had just really simple things that they had done, like stand if you're able or just just little tweaks to the language that made people feel like, oh, I'm included. Like, they meant me too. Um, you know, like accessibility type things or, you know, knowing that, you know what? We have people here who have mental illnesses. And if people need to walk out of the service in the middle of it, don't be weird about it. Like, it's fine. They probably just got overwhelmed. They needed a minute. Okay, cool. You know, no big deal. There was plenty of times that Richie left and would have to just walk out because it was just too intense. You know, you've seen demons flying around the room, like at church. And it's like, yep. <laughs> like, we don't go to a demon <laughs> church. But, like, it's like how disorienting to be like in the safe place and yet you see demons around you're like wow this is really exciting like (laughs) okay i believe this i guess this is the holy (laughs) place of god leave all your troubles at the door leave all your problems and any any fears anxieties you just leave them at the door we're here to worship and have a good time (laughs) like yeah just allowing just allowing the language to be like if you are like so far in the dark you don't see god right now it's okay if you don't, if you can't mm-hmm. stand for, you know, for worship, it's okay. We see you. We hear you. You're okay. Mm-hmm. Like just g- yeah. giving that space. It, it's very small. It's a two second, you know, excerpt yeah. from the normal stuff. I think, yeah, you're right. It would do so much to make people feel safe or feel okay to not be okay. Yeah. 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 You know, um, I've... <sighs> One of the churches I went to that I actually did ask them pretty, um, not sternly, but like adamantly to please take down or amend the sermon or like make a note at the beginning of it because it was like a guest preacher and he was talking about some like mental illness, PTSD stuff, anxiety stuff that was like, and he's taught, he's saying about how, like, oh, I've read the DSM and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, but you're saying a lot of also inaccurate information and you have literally no business talking about this stuff. Like, you can talk about those scriptures all day long and that's fine. Stop bringing clinical diagnoses into your sermons, especially because I don't even have a degree and I can tell you 12 things that you just said that were totally factually inaccurate. And, you know, then I have a pastor saying something like, I can't remember how, like what he said exactly, but he was like comparing Jesus to a schizophrenic and stuff. I was like, 
like, even if Jesus wasn't God, like that's not necessarily what schizophrenia looks like. Schizophrenia isn't just like, oh, I just make stuff up about myself, but I'm fine. Like, no, it's debilitating and it's very difficult to live with. This is, Jesus did not have schizophrenia. Jesus was not dealing with long-term clinical anxiety. I mean, maybe he was, but we don't see any proof of that. We see like in a very, very bad situation where he had very um, significant reason to be under extreme distress. He was, and it showed. Cool. But that's not, Jesus suffered from lifelong anxiety, which I've also heard. And it was like, what? Like you are not, you're putting stuff into scripture, things that you would be very like you would push against any other group trying to insert like characterizations about christ like you know any of these other areas that you disagree like lgtbqia if you like any of these other groups that you don't like if they started doing anything like that you would be like nope full stop don't do that but you're (laughs) doing it right now and not even like there's no caveat there's no I kind of imagine that Jesus probably did deal with a lot of anxiety considering he was, you know, God in a human body. Like, I don't know that the body could physically handle that. Then I'd be like, (laughs) huh, maybe he did. Maybe he did. But like, don't give me some bullshit reason that you think he did because that's stupid. And it just shows how uneducated and how unsafe you are for me to even talk to you as a pastor. You obviously know so little bit of, little about anxiety that me as a person like going to your church i can't go talk to you you don't know what you're talking about yeah yep yeah i feel that so much (laughs) well what do you what do you wish people like that knew though about someone with mental illness so when they do talk about it they knew these things because like everyone again has these these preconceived notions of mental illness, just like obviously that, that pastor did, he thought, Oh, I'm going to use this with this. I'm going to do this with, you know, and I'm going to, I'm going to go because, you know, the media says this or this blog post I found over here and the dark web said this about mental illness, blah, blah, blah. Dark web is real. Leave it alone. Um, (laughs) but, uh, but no, like what is, what is one thing you wish people really understood about mental illness and, and just, got about it all um i think part of going back to what you said earlier julia and that's something i've also felt too there's no arrival there's no oh i beat it like you'll all it may go into i i liken it a lot to something like cancer you know there's varying degrees and cancers that are worse than others to get but it's something that most likely, even if you have the most mild form of cancer, that could come back if you don't take care of yourself. Same thing with mental illness. Like, whether it's something that's just kind of a mild situational anxiety where, you know, occasionally it flares up. Or anything that goes all the way down to the deepest, darkest psychosis that you never get out of. Like, those things are scary and those people are real. And they happen and they don't just, they're not just a one and done thing. You know, Richie went through years of like real, like he had, when we, he, he's on disability now, but he went through 10 solid years getting awards at work between, you know, him being in high school and dealing with severe psychosis and being hospitalized. Um, He went through a party phase and stuff like that, but had a 10 year stint at this job where he had his life together you know, and 
didn't stop it from coming back, you know? Um, so these things are ongoing forever types of things. And if you can live in remission, hallelujah, that is amazing. And what, ev- what the goal is for everyone, but they're not, these are always, they're chronic for the most part, unless it's, you know, a trauma that hopefully you can get some really good work done for, but it's forever, you know? I guess that would be the biggest thing. <laughs> I think mine would be understanding that the motives are usually good. <laughs> I'm trying to s- summarize it in a way, but like when I'm depressed, I don't want to shut out all my friends. I don't want to be a bad friend. I don't want to skip out on a meeting which I'll usually just go to and make myself even more unhealthy because I feel so bad about it but I don't want right. I don't want to do any of the things that sometimes I don't have any control over and I and I I'm very careful with that because I don't want to say I have no control it's my mental you know that's that <laughs> that stereotype you know oh they just blame their mental illness for everything uh but like you right. know, there's there's some times where I you know, the, especially the last few days where I just want to go lay down and throw the covers in my, and just read and escape forever until it goes away. Mm-hmm. And that that's mm-hmm. I don't I don't want to be that person. I want to be the best friend to everyone, regardless of if if they if they return the favor. Like that's who I am at my core. I want to be the friend that always calls. I want to be the friend that always texts and says, "Hey, how are you doing?" I'm concerned about you. I've noticed that you were depressed last week, but like having depressed, like this last week, I have at least seven people that I go to sleep going, "Ugh, I forgot to check in on them this week. I need to do yep. that. And then two days later, I didn't do it. <laughs> like, and now they're going to think it's weird. And now I, I missed my chance and it's weird. And yep. You I missed don't... that window. And now you can never talk to them ever again. Ever, in ever. Life. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> And I'll do it. In three we waited years, five maybe. minutes too long. <laughs> like I have a friend I was, I, I told her, I'm like, I'm going to mail you a gift, man. I got this gift for you for Christmas. And I said it <laughs> yep. in January and it's March. <laughs> and I still haven't sent it. And not because I'm like, ha ha, sucks. sucks to be them. <laughs> I'm screwing around. But it, I really want to do it. And sometimes I just can't. And I wish yeah. people would just understand it's not personal, you know? Yeah. And most people, you know, your, my, your anxiety will tell you, oh, the, they're taking it personally. You're just the worst person. They hate being friends with you. But, like, I wish more people understood it's not personal. I'm not doing this to fuck with your life. Right. <laughs> I'm not doing this because right. I hate right. you. I don't, I'm not doing this because you did something to me three years ago and now I'm getting revenge. Like... <laughs> that, that and I and I know a lot of other people feel that way. So I just wish more people understood that my failures aren't aren't a personal attack. Like there's yes. no ulterior motive. My motives are I want to be best for other people, and that's just who I am. But I fail a lot, and I beat myself mm-hmm. up about it. Yeah, you know. <laughs> It's another podcast. <laughs> but, you know, I, I wish more people understood that those with mental illnesses aren't doing things to screw around with you and aren't using their mental illness as a crutch to blame all, you know, oh, I really didn't want to do mm-hmm. it. So I'll just say I was depressed. Like That's almost never yeah. the case. 
if you're you know yeah. if you have any type of it's not the case so that's what i wish more people understand because i feel like a lot of people just stereotype them as slackers or leeches right you know all those awful names people get called right well it's like mine totally. i really wish that they knew that it wasn't it wasn't cookie cutter that mm-hmm. that you know yes the the national american society of you know whatever determines a mental illness by xyz and it has all these you know things that go with it but like i am a high functioning bipolar like i i function a lot i know how to put on the face and power through um and and just move i'm a great actor um my self-speak versus what 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 comes out are two different things drastically and mm-hmm. so you know when i told a lot of friends that i was bipolar and you know and then had ptsd and then all these other things that come with that and then you know i've had audible hallucinations and i've had all these things because i oh, let yeah. my bipolar mm-hmm. go so far and so down and so in it, it just it kept morphing you know and then the ptsd yeah. and everything and they're like well no you don't i go why well you've never been to war and and i mm-hmm. and i go well what do you mean i never been to war you can't have ptsd you haven't been to war <laughs> say what right. and you know all this stuff so i really wish they would stop cookie cuttering what we have and everything and that that they would allow it to be mental illness is kind of it's designed for the person it's with it's its own little monster with you it has its own little quirks and hairs and moles on it and it's not just like someone else's like my ptsd manifests drastically different than julia's on so many levels um Mm -hmm. how i how i handle it how she she handle it but it's still ptsd Mm mm-hmm it's still trauma mm-hmm. stacked on trauma. It just looks different. It just looks different. Yeah. And so I really wish they would they would allow people just give your mental illness a name, but allow it allow it to be yours. I'm not I'm not like someone else. I am different. Yeah, and I need to be them. treated to be different. Well, and that's the thing. Believe them. Don't say, Well, oh, you didn't yes. you, you don't you don't do this, this, and this, so you can't be so it must be something else. No. <laughs> like, no. That just mm-hmm. causes more confusion. Causes yeah, more good. trauma. Yeah. <laughs> a lot more trauma absolutely that's good so especially when um you know clay with bipolar a lot of people think that bipolar looks a lot more like borderline personality disorder uh-huh. which uh-huh. with your rapid cycling you would end up looking a little more like borderline but people imagine like oh bipolar like what you're like your moods change every like five minutes and you're this and you're uh, that and it's like no nope. <laughs> that's not what bipolar actually looks like you know and so you're fighting a lot of ignorance anyway and people yeah. that are getting the totally wrong disorder let alone bipolar itself is a complicated disorder mm-hmm. you know and so yeah it's a lot lot to deal with and so Ah, it was so much fun talking to you guys. It was yeah, fun too. Yeah, thank you. So where can we where can we find depth of echoes? Where can we find your podcast? Where can we find <laughs> your awesomeness and art everything else? And everything about you oh, we goodness. need to know more. <laughs> oh goodness. Um Start So plugging. you can find me at depthofechoes.com and then we've got we're the same thing on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, depthofechoes.com. Um email you can just do raya depth of echoes um we also started a um, side project called the comfort squared project and that is helping um basically 
get people who are in some sort of psychiatric crisis or trauma some sort of support from the community. You know, it, what it is is basically it's a handmade blanket by people who also struggle with mental illnesses, crocheting or knitting squares and assemble them together. And then we put them with a big stack of note cards that has notes of encouragement from other people within the mentally ill community who have been struggling with the same sorts of things. And then we kind of put it all together with um, like a letter of encouragement and just like, hey, here's what we're doing. And we're just offering you some silent support. Um, here's some resources if you ever feel that you want to reach out or anything like that. But for now, we just want you to know that you're loved and believed in and that your struggle is valid and that you're seen. And so, um, you know, we just kind of started that. So we've sent out two blankets so far and um, the response was really really good and we're really excited we've got lots more blankets that we have in the works and making and really hoping to see it grow because it's like I don't know like it's just one way to like reach out and hug someone that you know may maybe they don't have a lot of people in their lives that they can connect with but you know we can reach out we have the ability through social media and you know, all the interconnectivity that we have and we can find people that are alone and then we can love them. And so just one small way to do that. So if people want to follow that, that's the Comfort Squared Project um, on Instagram and maybe on Facebook. But if you go on Depth of Echoes, you'll end up seeing snippets about that anyway. So <laughs> that's awesome. Well, you've heard the lady. You can find her all those places. And it's what I got in my head. Okay, leave me alone. Um, so what I need everyone listening to the podcast to do is go and drop her a five-star review on iTunes. Do it. Go tell her that she's doing a great job because she is. Um, and go, go show buy her, her art. It's so cool. That is, that is well. That is well. <laughs> but go, go, show, go show her some love and some support. Um, you know, we, we, we love what she's doing over at Depth of Echoes and, you know, all these projects. Um, she's been incredibly encouraging, uh, to me and Julia in so many ways. So y'all go show her some love and some support. Um, and of course you can find us wherever you, well, listen to podcasts and where you're listening to it now, iTunes, <laughs> Stitcher, Google Play or Google Podcast, um, are big ones or if you're listening on the anchor app drop a comment or leave a voice message on anchor um and uh we would love to hear you and also go to the facebook page um we have a twitter but it's not the best right now um and then we also have a group called the readcast renegades if you want to go in there i try to post once or twice a week um about things or talk about the show um but yeah um you know we we do this for you guys listening um, and if there's anything else you want us to talk about, let us know. We love to have interaction um, and, and really get feedback. So, but thank you again, Ray, for being willing to come on and for us to, to waste some time of yours and, <laughs> and and talk about some things. So I appreciate I it. Yeah, it was fun. So. Absolutely not a waste of time at all. <laughs> My pleasure. All right, all right. Well, thank you guys. This has been the Recast. Y'all have a good one. Me, Jesus, fix me. I've been waiting so long to feel this heartbeat.